All right, hello and welcome to episode eight of Steelcraft. Uh, my name is Aaron J. Steele and I am here with uh, Anna Bashkarova this morning. And um, yeah, look, we, uh, we're going to have a chat about um, Anna's journey so far uh, across her, um, her professional life and her personal life. And um, yeah, we'd be uh, looking forward to getting into it. So um, hi, Anna. How are, you, how are you going today? Hi, Aaron. I'm great. Thank you. That's good. It's um, it's funny. I think we've actually been connected on LinkedIn for a few years. Um, I think you may have added me a couple of years ago, possibly. Um, and we haven't really done much since then. Um, but you're sort of you were operating, um, in sort of the finance and IT space, and then you're sort of more into coaching and personal development. That's right. Yes, and at some point, um, I was actively building my network of business analysts and now I have like three and a half thousand of um, business analysts across Australia and yep. I've also been a speaker for IABA uh, and uh, I have been able to blend my experience in probably not so much in finance these days but rather um, uh, IT because uh, I spent nearly like nine nine years implementing accounting and supply chain software. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, and I did some business analysis as well, only because we never had enough business analysts uh, yeah. on the project uh, and a bit of change management as well. And I was planning to transition into change management, but somehow ended up in the small, smaller subset of change management, which is personal development and coaching overall. Yeah, no, that's that sounds... Um... That sounds pretty familiar. I mean, there's every project I work on, there's always a real lack of resources, um, especially business analysts. So uh, it's, yeah. it's always nice to know that there's a demand out there still. Um, so, I mean, like, how would you describe like what you, what you do on a sort of a day-to-day -day basis now? On a day-to-day -day basis, yeah. Okay, so uh, these days I'm running um, a business called Equilibrium Consulting and Coaching. And uh, it's, um, I started with the leadership development and I can see how I'm getting deeper and deeper into the personal development realm. And uh, as it happens with, with businesses, um, over time, I have realized that most people who come to me, they, they are in their mid-40s to sometimes early 60s and mainly somewhere in, in between Gen yeah. X. What they look for is confidence and resilience. They find themselves a little bit lost, sometimes a little bit stuck, uh, not necessarily sure where to go next. Uh, I don't know if you have experienced this, Aaron. Sometimes, and life life is always a journey. It's a transition. It's growth, mm. right? And you reach a certain level, and then you go, okay, I've hit the ceiling, uh, so I need I need to go somewhere else. Do I go up or do I go? Do I branch out? And if so, then how far? In which way? So these are the times when we start doubting ourselves quite a lot. Um, it's um, yeah, it's not a great great place to be in emotionally if you're not prepared. But me as a coach, I celebrate that point because that's usually that usually means that you are just about to break out as long as you don't get stuck there for too long because that, that may be a bit detrimental to, to the uh, overall um, um, the mindset, including including mental health. So, yeah, yeah. Um, 
there is no simple way to describe what I do because it's it's yeah. kind of strange. It's very different. Yeah. And kind of changes as well. But these are these are like the main traits of um or of the clients who come to me and my business is pretty much like serving the clients, um, having those friendly conversations that sometimes people go like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think? Um, why do you think people sort of get to that kind of place around that sort of um, that age? You know, do you think it's because there's a correlation between a lot of people perhaps have had kids that are now sort of grown up and they're finding that their their role in life is just organically changing, or like they've sort of reached a, a point where um, they've gotten to where they wanted to professionally? But they're finding that they're not actually happy with where they are. Like, what do you? What I guess, what's your experience been with why people are sort of finding themselves in that place? Uh, you have mentioned two scenarios that are rather typical. Yep. However, uh, it's like when it comes to kids, I might just tell you straight straight away. Most of my clients, they either don't have kids or their kids have grown up, which yep. tells me something that people prefer not to invest in themselves when they have children. So that they, mm. they divert their, their budgets in, in a completely different way. Anyway, that's beside the point. So you have mentioned, yes, uh, when kids grow up, empty nesters, and some of them start missing that need to care, the need to be needed, to be useful, to, to be that parent, you know. Mm. So essentially, it, sometimes people go through through the identity crisis. Some go like, woohoo, finally, you know, freedom here I come. <laughs> And and others they they really struggle with this. So that's one of the scenarios. Um, another scenario professionally, uh, that's an interesting one because um, quite often people people start asking themselves questions similar to what I have described before. Do I go up? Do I go sideways? Or do I go somewhere completely different? Do I start a business? Um, it it may be um, more around okay, I have worked so hard in the past, should I just take a break? But then there may be some issues like, oh, okay, I would love to take a break, but I'm also afraid to take a break because um, I don't know about you, but people who have worked on contracts, quite often they treat themselves on the billable hour basis. And it's like when there is an opportunity, it's so hard to say no. And yep. just, oh, okay, just, just another one. Oh, here's another opportunity. Oh, and another opportunity. See, I'm sensing this resonates, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, like, how do you, um, how do you help people when they, when they come to you? Like, I guess sort of I'll get to how they come to you. Like, I'm interested to know how they find you. But, like, what, what sort of um, processes do you work through with them to help um, sort of realign and sort of guide them through this process? Aaron, um, so I look at behavioral patterns. Uh, I look uh, at, uh, I, I do behavioral profiling as well. Um, I have a number of tools. Um, most of them are free to start with. And when, um, look, by now I know how to ask questions. I know kind of which way to go and how to find that that area where the block is. Because more often than not, there will be the struggle between two things, the, the, the desire for something and the fear, the fear yeah. of looking for it. 
or even the fear of achieving it. It's like, I don't know what it's going to feel like, uh, what it's going to look like once I'm there. So it's, uh, it's very much of a combination um, of uh, one on one conversation and um, uh, the tools that I have mentioned that help mm. me understand understand how the person is wired because uh, we are all multifaceted. We, we all are. Yeah. No, it's um. And how do how do people find you? So, I mean, like, um, is it do you have uh, like paid ads or is it networking referrals? Like, what's uh, what's the the model that you use to to attract clients and sort of build um, that? that network of clients that you currently have? So I must admit in my business over the last, I would say three years, I have tried multiple, um, multiple strategies. And uh, I used to be part of Business Network International, BNI. And uh, uh, networking was, was uh, one of them. Um, um, I would say event management. Um, I, I'm a speaker for, um, for IABA and CPA Australia uh, in different formats, sometimes smaller discussion groups or maybe the, the um, IABA Festival of Business Analysis. And so people have found me that way as well. Um, networking events of different kinds, mainly professional ones, obviously. What else? Um, online as well. Um, I'm not really on Facebook. I'm, I, I don't know. I haven't really mastered Facebook, but LinkedIn is my playground. Uh, and uh, I have been using LinkedIn um, a fair bit. So and, um, uh, content uh, as well as networking, like we have connected on, on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, this. Um, these days, LinkedIn is my main platform. Yeah, uh, LinkedIn is definitely, um, I'm finding it's the, the best place to find sort of reasonable traction um, quite quickly. Like a, you can post things into the void on other platforms and not really get anywhere, but um, there's quite a, a large user base on LinkedIn that is sort of actively looking for what you can provide. So, um yeah, so I mean, like, I'm interested to to know about the um, the the speaking that that you mentioned, like with the, the IIBA. Um, so mm -hmm. I mean, like, how what what does that involve, and like, how did you get into that? And um, yeah, because I mean, like, I've you know I've been a business analyst for ten years. I've never been to any of the events. <laughs> um, so I mean, I'm not really familiar yeah. with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, um, and, and yeah, I guess I'm interested to see how like. Um, you would get into something like that, and what it, what it, what's involved with that, with the speaking side of things. Okay, so with speaking, yeah. Um, look, quite often it starts with with connections through your connections, who you know, etc. And um, a dear friend of mine, he introduced me to IABA, and uh, um, he. Um, um, uh, yeah, so he, it's through his introduction, I um, I was able to to um, hear about the opportunities. So for those people, uh, for those listeners of yours who are not big on networking, um, yeah, you might want to rethink this because yeah. networking these days is so so important. Um, and uh, even just, 
I don't particularly like the saying network, your network is your net worth. But then again, it depends on how you measure your wealth. So mm -hmm. uh, your connections can can be extremely helpful from, from a lot of perspectives, even like leveraging other people's experience. So mm -hmm. this perspective, yeah, your network is definitely your net worth. <laughs> they can. Yeah can support you very well so yeah speaking speaking gigs um they they're pretty they pretty much came on the back of me being in those networks already uh like hanging around with people saying hi you know introducing myself face to face yeah. or, or online so yeah you've got to be out there you, you've got to connect with people talk to people that's that's the old saying that i learned when i started my very yeah. first, maybe that's a conversation for a different time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like I've had, because I mean, I've coached junior BAs, um, junior business analysts um, before, and I've kind of, one of the, the main things that I've suggested is like, um, you know, you, you can learn all the, the school, the, the skills and the, and the toolkits about how to, how to approach, like how to run workshops, how to gather requirements, all that kind of thing. But I mean, fundamentally, if people don't like you, you're not going to be a successful business analyst. So, um, if you're, ba yeah, basically just don't be a jerk was like my my main advice to someone. Like, you know, you can throw yourself into these activities, but like, if you're not able to build and maintain relationships with people, um, and this applies far beyond just like being a business analyst, but if you're not able to build and maintain like solid working relationships, you're going to find it very hard um, to to progress. So, um, and, and yeah, I think the rest will kind of work itself out. But um, yeah, like what what's your what's your take on that? Because I mean, I, some people like I've met other people that you know they rely very much on their skill set and don't think that they need to worry about you know not being a pain in the neck <laughs> to, to people. So I mean, but it's it's uh, it's always interesting to see what people's take on the the balance well, with that is. Speaking of balance, Aaron, uh, it's like where do I where do I start? Honestly, where do mm. I start? So I'll give you an example, uh, and that's pretty much like my um, my cup of tea, if you like. Um, that's that's what I I've been supporting people around for like years, and have been doing a lot of education around this as well. So. I'll give you two scenarios. One, someone is super technical, very technical, and all they speak is their, their they talk about their technical expertise all the time, most yep. of the time, right? And they don't hear what's being said. They can't even, let alone, they can't hear what's not being said, hmm. what, what's between the lines. You know, they, they may find it hard to read people's emotions. I don't blame them. It's, um, it's quite often it's a learned skill. Their superpower is their technical skills, right? Yeah. So there's another spectrum. When it comes to business analysts um, and consultants overall, and I used to be a consultant myself, there are so many people pleasers there that quite often this, this trait, the desire to impress, the desire to please, uh, sometimes people go overboard. So when it comes to being liked, it's like uh, it really depends because quite often, personally, I would take the approach that I would call, I would rather be respected. I don't care if I'm liked, I would rather be respected. Respected. Mm. 
So that position was, it worked way better for me because, because I was able to give the clients the solutions or even suggest the solutions that were not in line with the customer expectations, not necessarily in line with, with the existing culture or, or other parameters. So being able to, to say what needs to be said in a respectful way without being afraid of being disliked and yet without being intellectually arrogant by showing your technical expertise like yeah i'm the expert here right so yeah. it's like where do you find that that balance right so yeah. this yeah. is i think this is a bit of an art from my perspective and it comes easier to some people but you can you can learn it yeah no i, I think i think you're right i mean like there's it's definitely times when um i've yeah i've worked with um a client or a customer and they've had a very strong idea about what they they think they need and um i've had to go oh, actually no let's pump the brakes like <laughs> you might think you need that but let's actually let's analyze the problem properly and we can see that this is not actually what you need and rather than just saying yes yes and we'll deliver that and then it, it falls over um like having the um, the foresight and the experience to say, well, actually, let's let's examine this properly, and I'm going to, if you sort of allow me to um, push back, and uh, you know, we we'll find there's actually you know a well documented um, you know solution that we can we can find that meets not just your needs but the broader needs of the organisation as well. So, um, and I, I find that. It's yeah, interesting what you say about balance because there can be like if you just go in straight away day one and pushing back and saying no 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 this is wrong, <laughs> you can find that quite hard to um to to come back from. But I guess it's like you having to build a bit of rapport first, like um and working with them and not necessarily sort of saying yes to everything, but you know not being super difficult. <laughs> As well, it's 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 always it's it's always a, a tricky balance, and uh, I certainly don't always get it right. Um, but yeah, it's um, yeah, gi giving a little bit, and you know, but picking your battles, I suppose. This, yeah, you pretty much took me back into my consulting days. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and um, sometimes it's like I'll give you again, I'll give you a couple of uh, contrasts. So in the past. I'd be a lot more direct and I'd go, well, what makes you think this is a good idea? Well, maybe not that directly, but still, right? Mm -hmm. And and sometimes I would get a fair bit of pushback, etc. Like over time, I've learned to to ask questions in a much softer way. And uh, I suppose the more empathy I have developed in me. And it always starts with yourself. It's like, seriously, you can't show empathy towards others and treat yourself very harshly, right? Yeah. So the, the more my own empathy was growing, the more empathy empathy started to, to show up in my conversations, in my interactions. And uh, say in the later days in my consulting career, uh, it was pretty easy for me to to um, not even push back, but rather dial down my own arrogance thinking 
well, I know all the answers. It's like, I know my stuff, right? It's mm -hmm. like you walk in, I know my stuff. I've seen it all. Like we've worked on so many different projects, etc. Yeah. It's like, what are these guys doing? Like, seriously, what were they thinking when they thought that was a good idea, right? It's yeah. Like, it, it, all of that stuff that goes in the back of your mind, you have to kind of push it down, push it back, push it away. Like there is no, literally there is no space for this in the conversations with the clients because uh, if if there is even a tinge of that, believe it or not, people can sense it. So when you were talking about being liked, quite often this, uh, this thing of being liked, it's like you look at someone, they walk into the room, you know straight away you, you, you don't like them or you you're okay or mm. you like them, right? It's like, how does that work? Right? Yeah. Well, so that's why I'm very much of a proponent of being being very much like water, being neutral. It's like no flavor, no color. Um, while some of us, we want to show our personality, we want to show how much we know, we want to yeah. kind of put ourselves forward. So being able to kind of dial down your personality and just be there for the client and listen to them with a lot of empathy and just hold back on this, oh, no, I don't think it's a good idea, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and be open to have a discussion because what I have also learned, Aaron, I don't know if this resonates with your experience, some Sometimes you start asking them questions how they've come to the decision or this is one of my favorites what problem are you trying to solve here this is yeah. this is the, the, like such a good question right because it takes you to straight to the actual problem that people are trying to solve then they start telling you the things that may be happening in the background you may learn something about the culture and what seems like a stupid idea to the outsider once you're inside you go Actually, maybe that's the only way to go or one of the best ways to go, right? So yeah. again, calibrating your own state, your own ideas, your perceptions, um, and being neutral, being neutral and coming from a place of empathy, like mm -hmm. true empathy, not like the hero type of empathy or that it's like, I will come in and I'll fix them all and I'll yep. do what I need to do and... When I leave the site, it's going to be, everything will be humming. Everything will be working perfectly. It's like, yeah, this kind mm -hmm. of approach is not necessarily the <laughs> flavor that would recommend it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's funny, I, I often work with other analysts and, um, and yeah, as we do, and, um, you know, we'll go and have lunch or something and, you know, they'll complain about, oh, the client is, you know, they're, they've bought the solution. They're wanting us to sort of retrofit the requirements like that old story. And um, yep. pretty much anyone who's ever worked with me would have heard me say, like, if they, if, if clients were actually good at this, they wouldn't need us and we wouldn't have jobs. So why are we complaining? <laughs> like, 100%. Yeah, like it's, and just having that perspective of like, well, we are here to do a job. Like if if the client, you know, was was amazing at doing this and like there's no reason why they should be because it's a it's a very specific skill set. But if they're amazing at this, they wouldn't need us and we wouldn't be getting paid for this. So like, I don't sort of like, well, let's make, why are we complaining kind of thing? So it's, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just part of the job. And, you know, there's a lot, it's far worse jobs out there than being a business analyst, I can tell you. 
Um, it's, it's pretty pretty cushy. <laughs> it's not coal mining, that's for sure. Um, yeah. So I mean, I'm interested to like you sort of you talked about um, sort of your own empathy and sort of which has you know grown over the years. Like, where would you say that's that's come from um, in your like? Is that something that's come from your personal life or just something that's come from experience or where would that where is that empathy sort of been drawn from? Uh, it's it's a number of things. So one is it's um it's the education around coaching, human behavior, psychology. And when you how shall I put it? It's like if I was learning to be a cook, it would be pointless watching YouTube videos or read. Mm the recipes right you need to be in the kitchen you need to kind of be there you need to go through this yourself you need to taste your own food right mm. and so that's uh that's part of it so my own personal development journey that has come on the back of my studies as well uh a second is uh working with my clients i'll tell you this so as a as a coach, particularly when something really deep and personal comes up in the conversation, you can't afford getting triggered. And it's sometimes it's hard not to. Mm. It was very hard in the beginning. So I realized that I needed to clear my own triggers so that I could be that with what I need to be, who I need to be for the client, right? So it was partly to protect myself and as well as support my clients to the best of my ability so that I hold that space for the client. doesn't matter what comes up for them because when we talk about emotional blocks, it's like there may be a fair bit in there. Like mm -hmm. I, I, one of the common scenarios, Aaron, so here's the thing, bullying at school or adverse childhood experiences, whatever they were, right? It's like, so it's, it's, a, it's a, such a common story. And when someone, for example, someone gets fired from their job, it's, it can trigger the whole raft of things that sit in the back of your mind. And sometimes you don't even realize what it is. So holding the space for the person and be there for them without thinking, oh, yeah, I remember how I got bullied, or let alone, like, bringing it up with the client, talking about myself. It's like, no, it's this is not the time. It's not me. It's not about me. It's about them. So being there for them safelessly, yet with the boundaries. So it's yeah. like, this is your stuff, my stuff. I'll deal with whatever comes up, if anything. I will deal with this later. I, I take it not about me, but at the same time, like I, I don't lose myself in, in, um, uh, in the conversations with with the clients by just going through my own stories or or, or anything like that. So, yeah, I, I would say uh, it's it's a unique position to be in, and it's an extremely privileged position too to to be able to have these conversations with. Um, with my clients who are very much like i'm a professional friend to change your own identity like i had to right 
uh, it's um, yeah, it definitely helps. It definitely mm. helps. That's that's me. You're probably wondering how how do people who don't necessarily engage in coaching um, how do they get to their empathy? Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so really, really quickly. So before before we get. So usually people come to me with uh, with the issues like confidence, uh, lack of confidence, lack of resilience. They mm -hmm. don't know how to bounce back after certain events, etc. They don't know how to push through certain certain challenges, etc. And we start with becoming our own best friends. So when you are your own best friend, you don't do this negative self talk. You you kind of pause yourself straight straight at the, the, the beginning of it and and you know how to navigate this you um essentially uh you clear this negativity because again whatever comes up for the client say again going back to the the example with business analysts the client brings up uh, a problem the person who gets triggered by the problem, chances are they are sitting there in a bit of an anxiety thinking, I don't know whether I understand the problem. Or even if I understand the problem, I don't know whether I can solve it. Hmm. And if you think about it at the emotional level, it, it may trigger the sense of anxiety, helplessness. Um, it may trigger the fears of what if I fail at my project? How is it going to affect my reputation? How is this going to affect my career? So this is how this works, right? So again, being able to manage all, all this turbulence that, that goes on in the background, you need to have a super healthy self-esteem, which is usually a challenge for most of us anyway. We, yeah. we are born with it, but we, we don't grow up with it. We lose it. So, so when if we start with becoming your own best friend, that's a great start because you start backing yourself up. You start managing your, your emotions. You, you regulate uh, what's going on inside of you. You manage your triggers and you manage to go through that emotional turbulence with, with a, a lot less. Yeah. <laughs> So oh. how, how do you how do you coach someone through how to become their own best friend? Because I mean, I think like this is this would be almost a foreign concept to a lot of people. Like there, there's a lot, there's a very strong. I mean, we're getting better, but there's still a very strong um, resistance. Um, I'm sure, especially with the the sort of generation that you're working with, to um, you know self care and you know mental health and self-improvement and that kind of space because i mean like yeah. it's um we're still wired in a lot of ways to um you know just head down and keep going and like don't <laughs> just bottle it up kind of thing and so how do you um how do you coach someone through becoming their own best friend before we get to coaching the person needs to understand uh, the downsides of continuing down the same path when they so again let's let's 
backtrack a little. So when we mature, we try to become the best version of ourselves, right? And in the process, we quite often model other people. Who do we model? Our parents and obviously the people who have gone through the second war and, you know, there is a lot of this stoicism, this like um, push through type of mentality, like it's hard, but yeah, you know, it's not, life is not meant to be easy, yeah. <laughs> all, yeah. all of those things. So uh, let's put it this way. And this is the mistake that I used to make in the past. When I saw people like that, I'd be like, hey, come on, can't you see that there is like, you can have it, like you can have a completely different life. It's much better on the other side. Come with me. Right. But that they'd be like, no, hang on. I don't know what it's like to, to, to be different. I don't know any different. I don't know any better. Right. So pushing people towards the path that you think is good for them is actually disrespectful. And this is something that a lot of people are not aware of. And I must admit, I'm guilty of that. Okay, so now before we start that conversation, it's like, how do I coach? By the time I coach them, we need to have a conversation for me to make sure that they're ready. And the, this level of I'm ready, it's usually like if you keep hitting the ceiling, if you start feeling there is a bit of a bruise there, yeah. <laughs> that's the point when people start looking, mm, maybe it's time to do something about it. So being ready and it's the equation between the amount of pain that people can withstand and the desire it's it's more than just the desire it's it's rather openness to um to change and there is a great saying that the change happens when the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of change yeah right so that's why I have so much more respect for pain now. In the past, I'd be like, oh, the person is in pain. We need to help them straight away. It's like it's, it's inhumane to watch someone struggle. And like, guess what? Babies are born in a, like during a lot of struggle. Hmm. But that's, that's part of the process. Yeah. What, how, do you, um, how do people respond and react when I guess they, they come to a place with you where they feel where they realize that they can actually um you know get get through that ceiling because i mean like uh, i know a lot of a lot of us um yeah like i said uh sort of have this this narrative about ourselves and that's been ingrained into us you know intentionally or not for for a long time and very very few people have someone who you know such as yourself who is there and is actively telling them that you know there is actually another way of thinking about this there's another there's another way to approach this but it's also validating their pain at the same time like it's usually one or the other it's usually like shut up and get over it or yes life is terrible <laughs> um and very rarely especially in the, the professional circles like um it's very rare that people will actually be made to feel comfortable and be given space like how do people sort of break down sometimes with you or like what's what, what are the reactions like when they when they finally get to that place with you 
Look, I'm not that arrogant to say I've seen it all. Um, However, there's been a range of reactions. Um, Some people are very much like, okay, I'm pumped, ready to go, like can't wait to get started. Hmm. Um, others, others, um, um, and that's actually a great point uh, to to get started with coaching because, again, I can't help someone change if they're not one hundred percent on board. So that's the part that needs to be resolved before before we start. Because if there is a bit of hesitance there, then chances are the person will not become my client up until a certain point. And uh, I'm just going to say this. Uh, someone approached me recently. I think it's been like three or four years since our previous conversations. So sometimes it's a very long process for people to yeah. get through. Yeah. Um, sometimes the reactions that I see, um, it's a mix of excitement and fear, which is totally normal because these emotions come from the same place, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, yeah, it's like I want it, and it's like it's a bit scary at the same time. It's like, but I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So mm. that's probably the most, uh, the most common reaction that I, I can see when people engage me. Yeah. yeah. No. Okay. And what? So you you look at specifically working with Gen X. I mean, why why Gen X? Like, is there something about that? that particular generation that you feel is like uniquely in need of this kind of um, service that you provide? Great question. (laughs) And for a business owner, you you probably know this yourself. It's like defining your niche. It's a, it's a big question, right? Yeah. (laughs) I, uh, in the beginning, I did not focus on the age at all. And uh, I'll tell you this. I do have the clients who are a bit younger. Um, I would say the youngest was probably like 32, 33. Yeah, um, more often than not, they'd be like 37, 38. And more recently, again, maybe because I've been talking a lot more about aging um, on LinkedIn, I celebrated my 50th. And maybe that was the the the, the feedback that I got. Uh, but also, I have been getting clients in their late forties and fifties um, for at, for about a year and a half now. So yeah. um, uh, there is one more thing there that people that people take into the consideration, and it's more at the level of do do we resonate? Mm. So. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with um, uh, with those um, uh, stages of development. I think it's part of the work by Carl Jung. Um, there are different stages when, for example, people who are young, they're hungry. Mm. It's, it's a stage that it's like, let's go. There is a lot of this um, active energy. It's like, get a boy, get a girl, get a house, get a car, get this, get that, you know, climb higher. So... Um, and it's not it's not my niche. They're not my clients because I'm at the point of, you know what? When you climb high enough and you realize that extra two, three, five hundred thousand dollars a year is not going to make any difference in how you feel, particularly about yourself, mm-hmm. you start feeling disappointed. 
you start feeling frustrated and you're wondering where has all this effort gone into like Hmm. why you know i it's 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 a huge point it can be a breaking point for a lot of people and it was for me and maybe that's why people who come to me they are experiencing something similar Hmm. like why do you think it is essentially yeah why why do you think it is that people um feel that way when that when they get there because i mean i've spoken to a lot of people who you know made multiple millions and they said you know when they were growing up they would also they would also hear from other people who had already sort of made lots of money that oh it um once you make all the money you know it's not actually that important and you know and he person i'm thinking of said oh well i didn't believe him at the time but now that i'm here i also agree with that and (laughs) like why, why do you think it is that that happens like it's it's almost like no one's going to listen to that advice until they get there and then they realize it was true all along (laughs) i'm thinking how to how shall i answer your question okay i might use this framework so let's talk about the human needs so um the the core human needs when when we're young quite often we are driven by significance we want to prove ourselves right and we are happy to withstand a certain level of uncertainty, which is like challenge, adventure, uh, variety. We are not that hung up on comfort, safety, and security. However, in saying that, potentially we are building, we're working so hard to build our wealth, reputation, career, whatnot, everything that leads to, to that state of comfort. Uh, it's actually driven by the need for comfort, safety, and security. Yeah. What happens then is, so say we are at that level of comfort, safety, and security. I know, I know my job. I, like, I, I, there's no struggle anymore. Mm-hmm. I can do my work with my eyes closed. What happens then is we move from the period of growth and challenge, which is exciting, to the period of, oh, I'm kind of bored. You know, it's like um, there is a term now called bore out. Like we've yeah. been talking about burnout. Well, how about bore out? Right. And speaking, going back to, to the uh, human needs, core human needs. What we realize afterwards as well is the need for variety becomes stronger we need we 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 get bored we need something different Hmm. right but at the same time our habit of staying comfortable and secure it kind of drags us back so here is the first conflict Hmm. the second conflict is when we're young we hope that when we are wealthy and secure etc it's it's an attraction factor if you like when you are wealthy and secure, etc., uh, what kind of relationships do you attract in your life? That's when we start asking ourselves these questions. It's like, what is my current relationship with, with the partner, with the long-term partner in particular? Are we still like on the same page or have we kind of drifted apart? Right. And for someone like I, I've gone through so many different things in life, including separation. So like people find it easy to talk to me because it's like, yeah, you can talk to Anna about anything. Like, 
you know, yeah. great change, moving country, separations, like in the, the, uh, depression, like whatever, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, the need for connection and love. I'm having these conversations more and more often now. And, um, you know, it's a very deep type of conversation when someone says, well, at my age, I'm starting to be afraid that I'm going to die and I'm not going to experience love. And it's deep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a lot to, um, to, to be sort of thinking like, and I guess when you're sort of getting, um, into those, those ages, it, it might feel like your chances of finding and experiencing that love is, is less like as you get older. Um, it's it, not necessarily saying that that's true or not, but I mean, it might be a perception that it, you're less likely to find love the, the older you get. I mean, like, would you say that? Cause I mean, part of me feels like in a lot of ways it's, it's inevitable that we sort of get to a stage when we, we feel like that because like i said before like all the the older people with lots of money and telling the younger people don't just focus on money because it's not that important when you get it and all the younger people are saying whatever you don't know what you're talking about the effect of that that realization and like is there steps that people can take as they're on their journey so that when they get get there they're not just sort of struck by you know the 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 grief of getting to that place and realizing that you know that they're, they're they're not actually feeling fulfilled um i know that's a, that's a pretty broad question but <laughs> it's it's actually not that broad of a question aaron i'll tell you this so before before i talk about how to mitigate this how it's like how do you avoid this how do you avoid mm. this mistake right um, there was um, there was the point about love when um, that I feel I feel I really feel like to share this with your listener listeners. Quite often we believe that everything we want is outside. It's out there. For me to experience love, I need to have a partner. I need a partner or whoever, someone. I need to have someone. And sometimes I think maybe it's the reason why we have children because we feel we feel the need for love, but we don't know how to tap into it. But when we have a child mm. or a puppy or a kitten, it works as well. Like yeah. they, they help us express it, right? They yeah. help us. Now, uh, this is something that I'm working on now. I have learned to tap into those emotions. When I don't have a partner, I don't have a kitten, I don't have a puppy. Mm. And my child is 24. So, <laughs> so this is possible. So this is something that I really want people to, to hear. It's like, uh, it's, if you expand your thinking, you may find the things that you're looking for and they are much closer than you think. Mm. Okay, so that's the first one. And in terms of how do you how do you avoid these these uh, mistakes? Going back to what I was talking about, uh, when when people engage me, it's like the person has to be ready. And let's put it this way: the bigger the ego, the less chances they're going to listen. 
Yeah. And the ego is the part, it's the driving part that goes like, get a boy, get a girl, get a car, get a house, get, a, get this, get that. We have to go through these phases and it's okay. Like, you know, uh, you're a parent, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Aaron, this is, this is the, the type of conversation that I often have with, with people who are parents. One of the hardest parts in like the hardest things in parenting is to watch your children making mistakes. Yeah. Cause they won't learn how to look after themselves. If you stop them from making mistakes and yeah. then they'll be attached to you forever, which is not what you want either. Yeah. And that too. And yeah. that too. Yeah. And it's a huge disservice to that, that we can do to our children. Right. And the same, the same thing with, with adults now, um, in the past, I was very much like, no, I've got to convince the person. I've got to convince the person. You know, it's for their own benefit. And now I'm like, maybe they're not ready. Mm. Maybe they need to experience a little bit more struggle before another part of the ego falls off and they become a little bit more open to listen. Yeah. That's why I have a lot more respect for this. Because, like me, me personally, Aaron, I was the worst person for coaching, for be, being coached. Yeah. I was the worst person to take advice because my trust, natural trust level towards people is not particularly high, which, which happens like it's, it's not just a reasonable, it's an expected outcome for someone who had some, what do you call them? Ace adverse childhood experiences, right? You, mm -hmm. you don't trust people that much. Yeah, which you a lot more other benefits like other other gifts and traits like being able to read people better, you know, mm -hmm. um, figure out what's going on um, much faster. It's like great consultants. Like we can we can see a lot of things that other people notice, right? So yeah, yeah. but yeah, I had to go through the period of struggle to kind of let go of. You know what, Anna? You actually don't have all the answers, and uh, this know-it-all type of attitude is not going to serve you going forward. So, yeah. when it comes to aging, there is a fair bit of unlearning to do, and this is an example of the unlearning that I had to do. Yeah, no, I, I definitely um, resonate with that because, I mean, like, I, I often feel like if someone comes and gives me like unsolicited advice my mm. initial my immediate response internal response i don't usually say this out loud but it's like what do you think i haven't already thought of that <laughs> i've already <laughs> thought about everything there is to think about because like, i'm very like a, i process things internally and um yeah. you know do a lot of thinking like thinking through things before i sort of act and think and so um it's always like and it's probably you know like, advice is given with the best of intentions but like it's a bit of a yeah. like oh how, how dare you suggest that i'm stupid enough to not have already known that like and, and like that's something i'm trying to actively work on because i yeah it kind of comes back to to ego like i wouldn't usually think that i have like a, a strong ego like i'm quite happy to you know to um you know learn from people if i'm seeking it out but like <laughs> If someone says, "Oh, you're doing this wrong," I'd be like, "Oh, how dare you tell me I'm doing my job wrong? <laughs> like, I know what I'm doing," um, which you know is not is not helpful. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that I I need to work on um, personally. And I mean, people probably 
don't even know because I don't actually vocalize it. But um, no, I have. I, I just have now. So I guess the cat's out of the bag. But um, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it can be hard. <laughs> Aaron, good on you. It's like sharing these things is another way to break down the ego. Hmm. And sometimes people are surprised, like, oh, Anna, you're so open on social media. You talk about things that other people don't. And I'm like, yeah, someone has to say they're unsayable. And no, I've never, I've, no, I've, uh, it's not I've always been like that. In the past, I'd be very much like, oh, my gosh, uh, someone has noticed I'm struggling. And struggle is not the word that I would handle lightly, yeah. at least in the past. So, again, it's the proverbial vulnerability, right? So, mm. yeah, sharing things in public, obviously with boundaries, obviously not like, you know, your, the, the like social media is not your uh, psychologist. So yeah. This is a mistake that a lot of people make on social media, particularly on Facebook. A little bit more on LinkedIn now than in the past, but um, uh, yeah, uh, it's like I'm I'm all for it. It's like when people can talk about their own vulnerabilities, their stretches, because I look at these things as stretches. And by now, like I, I know we all have it. We, we we go through the same things more or less yeah it's just the one side that's highly pronounced in one person may be completely shut down in another person but the issues they are experiencing may be very similar strangely yeah, enough right. so the more the more we learn um who we are and we we bring a lot more curiosity and what's that word empathy yeah to explore what's going on inside where do i get triggered what what um what triggers me what are those things that that go ooh, like i feel like to kind of shut down mm. or push the person back because these are natural reactions right that's these are the signs that oh there is there is a bit of you know vulnerability there and like I probably will, I think I will never stop repeating this. When you clear this, this is the point when you get the freedom. Because we work so hard to get that elusive freedom. Like we look after our health and we build our wealth. These, are just, these used to be two key points um, um, that I used to work on and chase, really. I was really chasing them, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, um, yeah, and then I discovered freedom again. It's it can be much closer than you think. Yeah, the freedom of being yourself, the freedom of expressing yourself, the way you are, and and you know that you express it in a way that that is going to land, and even if it won't, you know you can handle it. That's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, it's uh, it's been really good um, chatting with you, Anna. It's uh, it's already been an hour somehow, so um, yeah. I'm going to have to wrap it up there. So, look, where can people go to, um, to connect with you and, and engage with you and find out more about you? Aaron, uh, I would say LinkedIn is my new website. So yep. uh, it's it's Anna Bashkirova, uh, leadership coach. Excellent. And All right. Yeah. yeah. 
No, it's uh, it's been really good. Um, yeah, catching up with you. I really enjoyed the conversation. So, um, yeah, look, uh, thank you so much, and um, I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Speak soon. <laughs>